Hey, Jordan, how are, how are you doing? Oh, How's boy. it going? Uh, you've been better. What's up? Same. Very much same. Um, you know, it's been a couple of days since I was in touch with you. There's been some major news that's, that's, uh, came out over the last couple of days. And as you remember, uh, when I did that U S embassy tour, uh, a year or so ago, I was staying in Havana. Mm -hmm. I took a trip up to, uh, I was in Vienna for a little while. Mm -hmm. I was in Moscow Beijing, of course, oh, well. traveling oh, yes. all across in unrelated activities, purely as yeah. a tourist, uh -huh. purely in like a tourist visitation. Just a photography trip. Yeah, exactly. I just like to like to go and experience these other cultures. And a number of times when I was staying there, woke up, I was hearing this loud, oppressive sound. Mm. This It kind of reminded me of maybe like cicadas, kind of that, but way worse though and like it was absolutely a some kind of microwave energy blast like i just felt like i was getting hit with one of these microwave energy blasts yeah. i felt nauseous mm -hmm. i had a headache i was losing sleep and i was really thrilled that the biden administration started taking this seriously to the claims of myself and a number of other important uh diplomats and nationals canadian and mm -hmm. american about these claims, about these attacks, these sonic attacks that we underwent in these situations. Yeah. I did see the other day, though, a major news story dropped about how these intelligence agencies are now starting to claim that this was not, in fact, a directed energy microwave weapon being wielded by the Russians or the Chinese or the Cubans. And now I'm just trying to reach someone from the Biden administration because I wanted to know what the status is of my claim because I was kind of counting on some of those funds coming in. Mm -hmm. I've got I've got medical expenses and some other unrelated expenses as well that I was hoping that I could get some help with. And now I'm now I'm not sure that's going to go. Yeah, I mean, I just filled out the questionnaire and I was really banking on you know that like 200 grand for from yeah. my Havana syndrome claim because Look, dude, I want, I've always McLaren is my dream car, and I thought this would be the opportunity where I could finally get one. So, um, I know really that would make you feel better. It would. My doctor said, yeah. my doctor said that my my stomach ache <laughs> would be cured if I had a McLaren. Um, yeah, and now we get stabbed in the back by the Intel community. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. Um, I'm happy to know, you know, I did see, I did see, uh, Ned Price and the Blinken kind of going there and saying like, they still believe, they still believe that these, the people are sick and these things have been happening. We just like, you know, we don't know why, where it's coming from. So I hope they're still going to, regardless, regardless of whatever news stories that come out with this, I hope they still keep, keep the, the victims of this horrendous attack in their in their thoughts i hope they see us and hear us and continue to support these these claims yeah it was the fbi or i think maybe the cia statement it's like this in no way undercuts the lived yeah. experiences of the asians <laughs> They're still, they're still trying to insist this happened, but, uh, you know, as, as people, including ourselves and many other skeptics over the 
past like year or so, as this has been framed as a very serious national security risk. You know, as a lot of critics have pointed out, all of these symptoms could be a wide variety of things. And of course, you know, we were of the many who saw through this line that this was a foreign adversary uh, levying these, quote, attacks on these agents. But one thing that's really frustrating is that Congress, in a bipartisan manner, rushed to give funding to all of these people who were saying this was something that was happening to them without waiting for final determination. And meanwhile, you had a bunch of you know, national security reporters and stenographers ultimately for the intel community publishing stories like there are so many cases of Havana syndrome that Walter Reed Hospital is overflowing and now they have to go to other hospitals. Immediately that should, you know, signal, especially during COVID, that should signal to people that your your bullshit detector should go off. (laughs) And here we are. The intel community says, okay, this is not what we said it was. You know, something's happening. It's not what we said it was. Again, this is happening during COVID. But all these people got huge payouts from the government. And when, in any other circumstance, would an average person get a payout? Like, I mean, these were like like six figure payouts from yeah. the government. What? What? No working person, no honest working person would ever get something like that from the government. No, I mean, like it's we're ridiculous. not going to see talk about the people that are being poisoned in East Palestine right now. I don't think they're going to be getting any six figure payouts from anybody. Um, for yep. whatever whatever horrible consequences they have to live through because of the the chemical spill there. Yeah, it's really strange. I mean, it's like I've been looking at I've been looking back at some of the footage from this on mainstream media and it's really stunning like the way that we, you know, we rightfully point to people like Alex Jones and the completely wacky things that they say and we lump them into this category of just like conspiracy deranged conspiracy theorists. And again, a lot of that is like that's an accurate description of the kind of stuff that he talks about. But when it came to this, mm-hmm you see, I think, the paper-thin di- differentiation between what you see on mainstream media and these wacky conspiracy theories. Like, there is n- a numerous, like, every single establishment media element got involved in this story. There's the New York Times did a little documentary on it, and NBC News, CNN. I mean, this is a big, coordinated media push. There's so much stuff about this. And it's literally these, like, mainstream media reporters sitting there completely straight face saying like we there's some believe this is a directed energy microwave weapon attack from America's enemies just like completely wacky science fiction stuff um which was just being presented that a lot of people I think believed was was real because it's being presented like uncritically on mainstream media and even the flimsy like the way that they were able to make these claims with zero zero evidence actually supporting that, but because you'd have maybe one scientist or one professor going on the record being like, yeah, I suppose that's a possibility. And then it creates this media narrative where like, well, some scientists believe that there was never ever any evidence at all to prove that. There's no evidence that any of this technology even exists. And it's just really amazing that there's been this like concerted push, like going back years and every couple of years, every little while, the cycle would build back up again. But there's been a huge mainstream media push to uncritically promote this story. And I think it's it's really, it was shocking when it was going on, but even more shocking when you look back on retrospect, given the fact that the intelligence community seems to be admitting that there's nothing to that that aspect of the story. Yeah, it's it's absolute bullshit. I'm glad it was finally debunked, but that doesn't, it isn't going to stop them from trying to push 
some other angle like that you saw in their comments like they still insist something happened but now it's just not the uh the stummy ache gun <laughs> yeah yeah we all knew was the bullshit. headache ray the headache ray <laughs> um yeah. yeah and obviously like you know the whole thing where regardless of the way that they've walked the story back there's still i'm sure a sizable number of people who are plugged into the cable news world who will just now for the rest of their lives believe that russia or cuba or korea or china do have a microwave headache gun and they the, the fact that they've walked back this story or they've tried to pump the brakes on it is not going to really impact their their fervent belief that this is a very real thing right right yeah oh boy well uh <laughs> yeah great speak, stuff speak Speaking of more bullshit, we have a good conversation coming up uh, with yes. Brian Metzger of Insider about CPAC. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to remind folks that we had a great conversation with Nikki McCann, Nikki McCann Ramirez of Rolling Stone earlier this week for subscribers, where we talked about the Dominion lawsuit against Fox and all of the revelations coming out of that through depositions, through findings and discovery and document uh, documents being uh, published, uh, showing emails, texts, uh, public, you know, a, a, acknowledgement among Fox hosts and executives that they were lying to their audience. And even Rupert Murdoch in his deposition admitting they were lying to their audience about the outcome of the 2020 election. And beyond just, yes, Fox News lies. We've known that for years. We had a really good conversation about the ways Fox influences our society, society and our politics, and not just misleading viewers also getting into the granular granular details of how they really are kingmakers in the republican party i i I loved it and you can get it at the insurgents.substack.com for just five bucks a month you get access to that episode and every other paid episode that we've done become a paid intern of the show uh, continue supporting it we really appreciate those of you who have already subscribed I had a ton of fun talking to Nikki. What about you, Rob? Yeah, that was very good. I mean, I think oh, I'm always interested in talking about the extremely pernicious influence that you know Fox and conservative media in general has had uh, on American culture. But you know, considering we, we're all kind of living in different variations of American culture because it's been exported around the world, has had these wide ranging horrific impacts on you know the entire world. This kind of conservative media ecosystem. Um, that was a great conversation. We also, as you mentioned, have an insider reporter, Brian Metzger, coming out to talk about CPAC, which seemed like a, quite a wild ride as well. Very interested to hear about his experiences there and all the various sects and different interests that are represented down in CPAC. That was great stuff. So you want to get, get the show on the road here? Yeah, let's do it. It's silly season, baby. It's silly season. It's hashtag silly season. <laughs> on the Insurgents podcast, and Brian Metzger will be joining us right after this. All right, who's got small talk? Oh, man. I don't know. <laughs> you got any vacation coming up? Do you have March break? Is that a, is that an American thing as well? You, you think we get breaks? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, for context, Brian, Rob's Canadian, so he, he gets ah, things like yes. benefits, time off, 
uh, right. holidays. Actually, you know. actually, that is not correct, considering my <laughs> main job is thing. Twitch streamer. So. <laughs> yeah, sorry, let's leave the benefits <laughs> yeah. out of it. <laughs> yeah, I would, it would be nice to have benefits and time off, but I just have to figure that out. I have to ask Jeff Bezos for permission when I want to take time off. And he says, no, wear your diaper. <laughs> Keep streaming. March. March break. What is, yeah, what is that? I don't know. It's just to get a, just like, you know, kids get a week off of school, you know, usually for I mean, what? It's like a vacation time. So, so like spring a, break? Yeah, spring break. Yeah. Oh, schools do. Yeah. But I, yeah, I thought you meant yeah. like as adults, do we get some oh, sort no. of break? Adults in Canada no. don't get like a week long holiday out of nowhere. That would be nice. I would support that if yeah. that was a thing. But I just mean more that like there usually is a time around this time of year when there's some kind of mm. some kind of breaky type thing going on Got usually it. right yeah so no plans for you to yeah. i guess not until may i told okay. you earlier in may I'm, I'm going to tokyo right but that's yeah. oh, wow. well, that's cool not a not a spring break type thing like i'm not in school anymore so <laughs> i also found maybe you saw this as well brian was your spring break often filled with homework and papers Mm. while you were in school i i think i managed to escape that um at least with spring break i think thanksgiving break was a break that was often full of a lot of work and especially in college i think i ended up um doing a lot of work over thanksgiving break because it was right near the end of the the quarter and had to get everything done and that was sort of a free time to do it all yeah yeah that makes sense rob what about you I am taking a couple days off right before you'll remember Jordan. Like when we first started the podcast, I have been reminiscing about this the other day because we started the podcast and, you know, it was with covering the, the first, it was right covering the beginning of the democratic primary. And then during the, during this week, three years ago was, um, super Tuesday. And I did, I went, mm. I took a little vacation with uh, my family at that time, and I watched the Super Tuesday results roll in um, from this place in upstate New York where we were staying, um, which was extremely depressing. I was looking at the other day at my my confident declarations prior to that about how I thought it was going to go versus what ended up actually happening. But yeah. other than that painful aspect, we had a really great time on this vacation um, prior <laughs> to that. It was right as we were starting to get this trickling in of stories about COVID, especially in New York, and it was still a little kind of unclear at that time. It was really right before the dam broke on that. Um, so it was literally like right before a lot of really bad stuff started to happen <laughs> and our whole society kind of took this dark turn. And so actually in the next week, we're bringing our son back to this place, this like cool little spot in upstate New York. He's been He's been bugging us to go for the last three years uh obviously we couldn't for a number of reasons so this year we're like okay we're gonna go go back there so we're kind of going back to where we were three years ago at this time right before um a whole lot of really bad shit started happening (laughs) sounds like the makings for a bad vacation but (laughs) otherwise it was very nice yeah yeah (laughs) i didn't realize that the the start of covid was three years ago it's hard to believe yeah it's hard to believe isn't it yeah, and Super Tuesday was March third, twenty twenty. So that's that's exactly three years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Oh boy. Well, <laughs> not a good night. It, it's a perfect. I guess Brian, you're a perfect guest for for this anniversary. And now that CPAC is happening, 
uh, you know, who, who better than Brian Metzger of Insider, a politics reporter there who's been covering CPAC. Uh, we're, we're happy to have you. But before we get into our conversation with you, we have to ask you the same question we ask everybody. And we start all of our conversations off with a pretty hardball question, just so we know who we're dealing with. Uh, mm. And now it's your turn, Brian. Brian Metzger, are you a gamer? <laughs> uh, I, I would not say that I am. Um, at least in the in the sort of oh, typical boy. understanding of it, um, I, I used to play Minecraft a lot. Um, that counts, especially okay. yeah. No, I mean not now. So it's like it's hard for me to say <laughs> I'm a gamer now. But like when I was in middle school and I guess maybe early high school, I was a big Minecraft player. You know, really enjoyed the sort of world building aspect of it. Um, I it's it's funny every time I go home. Um, for the holidays or something like that, even just a couple months ago, um, I end up sort of regressing and getting back into it. This is basically like a yearly occurrence, and you know, it's it's, it's a fun game. I mean, it's 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 great, but I I try not to get sucked into it too much because I definitely spent too much time on it back then, and um, I find myself being annoyed at how complex the game has gotten because uh, it used to be very simple. I don't know if you you all play Minecraft ever, but no, it sounds like a game your your kid would play. I do play sometimes. Yeah. I I enjoy that. It has gotten rather complex. I do. My favorite thing about Minecraft was always just starting a new map, and that kind of first couple of nights when you go from having nothing at all to having a little place. I was this. There's this feeling of comfort that first night in Minecraft when you dig a little hole and have a single torch, and then how that over right. time turns into this cool like fortress. That's always really satisfying. Whenever I got to that point afterwards, I would kind of be like, oh, well, I don't see the, the point in this anymore. Yeah. No, I mean, same here. It's like those, the the early stages where you're really like down on your luck and you're trying to, you know, get, get diamonds, get iron, um, build some sort of farm to give yourself a nice stream of food. Um, that's always kind of, yeah, the most mentally stimulating part of the game for me. And then once I've achieved like a certain degree of like comfort, I, I feel like I'm like, all right, well, I guess that's it. Like, yeah. I don't really know what else to do now. And I guess that's why they've added on all these sorts of aspects of the game that are sort of built around making it more of an adventure versus sort of just this kind of stable, flat thing. But I don't know. I just, it's probably just like a sort of inertia thing where like I didn't, I didn't play like that initially. And so it's hard for me to get into it now. Sure. I've never I've never played, but my understanding of it, and maybe I'm wrong, is that it's just you get in and you just do whatever. Uh, but I've also heard about people trying to beat it in a certain time. So is there a storyline or is, is there a mission component to this? There's the whole stuff with there, the dragon and the is. nether world and all that shit. I never really messed around with that at all. Yeah, they've I mean, over time, they've built in these like storyline aspects to it where you can sort of level up in a certain way or there there's more sort of exploring to do um okay but i i think at least in its best form it is just sort of like almost akin to like the sims or something like that where it's just sort of you kind of just do what you want a lot of it is about like building houses and, and that kind of stuff um obviously a big thing um probably still i mean i haven't played on any servers but it's like minecraft servers where people come together and play the game on some sort of um server that's built around um gosh i feel so old talking about this now because it's, it's been so long since i've been on one but um 
you know, the people do it multiplayer and then they have fun with that as well. But it is kind of a solo game in a way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, we got some well, gaming talks. Sounds, yeah. That's good. <laughs> I think we, we, yeah. Someone said in your chat, Rob, once a gamer, always a gamer. Yeah. Or, or frame you the, or, we should frame, frame the question as, are you or have you ever been a gamer? <laughs> <laughs> Any gamer associations? Must yeah. Support them. <laughs> it's right. like McCarthy it's is a gamer good. scare. We're here. We're here for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> um, but but Brian, you've been covering uh, CPAC the past couple of days, and that's going on into the weekend. We got the big the big guy coming. I think tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Everyone's really hyped for that. Uh, we'll get into the Trump component in a bit, but I'm curious, just kind of general observations. What was the, what were the vibes at CPAC this year? Well, the vibes are, are interesting. And I guess one initial caveat that I would have to add is that, um, this is my first CPAC. So I'm, you know, I'm not to date myself too much, but I'm 25. Like I kind of started covering politics, um, just in the last couple of years and, uh, (laughs) in, in 2022, CPAC was in uh, Florida and Texas, and it didn't really make sense for me to try to go all the way out to there. So um, this year, it's in National Harbor, which is just a few miles south of DC. Um, it's it's weird. It's basically like a Trump show. Um, I think is the best way to describe it. It's sort of a loose collection of folks on the right flank of the party. Definitely, um, I think that's a bit more pronounced this year from from what I've heard and from what other people have reported um, than in the past. I mean, this is a conference that, you know, as, as recently as just the last few years, like Mitch McConnell has spoken at it and more mainstream Republican figures have spoken at the conference. Um, This year for a variety of factors, um, it's really, I think, been limited to kind of the, the Trumpy fringe of the party. And so, um, notably Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis have skipped it. They, they're not going. Um, I, and it's not just, you know, sort of the presidential contenders, but some of the bigger name Republicans on the Hill in general, I mean, think about people like Marco Rubio, Tim Scott, Josh Hawley, like none of them went. And that was something I was asking them about earlier this week. Cause I'm usually a Hill reporter. Um, and it was kind of funny talking to them about it because, um, I mean, Holly was like, yeah, I'm not going. And I was like, is it because of these um, sexual assault allegations against Matt Schlapp, which I can get into a bit more as well. And he was like, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll just leave it. At, I'm not going, you know, <laughs> he didn't want to get into it. And I mean, Marco Rubio was like, when is it? So it's, I think it's sort of faded in relevance. Um, but and, you know, walking around the conference center the last couple of days, I think one interesting barometer of where things are is just how different figures have been received. Um, some of the biggest sort of celebrities that um, get the biggest crowds outside of the main conference hall are people like Mike Lindell, uh, Steve Bannon, Matt Gates, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was there earlier today. Um trying to think who else would would be a big draw for folks i mean carrie lake was there earlier and i think she was getting mobbed sarah palin was randomly there yesterday uh she was there to promote 
uh, in efforts to repeal ranked choice voting in Alaska because because uh, she a, lost a factor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because she lost. Yeah, I, I spent some time. I actually wrote a story about it. I spent some time talking to. Um, they have a whole booth set up. Alaskans for honest elections. Oh, um, wonderful! And, yeah, they're trying to spread the word about ranked choice voting. Um, <laughs> so it's. It's it's strange. It, it's sort of this yeah fringy conference. I think it's diminished than it has been in recent years. Um, but you get a lot of the sort of types that you might see at a political rally, like people who are decked out in their Trump gear. There was a guy walking around with a suit that you know looked like a wall, like a brick wall. Um, there were, you know, just conservative students like those types. Um, yeah, it's just it's kind of a dwindling crowd of people who by and large are, are sort of Trump fans or um, maybe if they're not supporting him in 2024, at least like they like the guy, like, you know, you're not going to find anyone who deviates from that line at CPAC. It's funny to hear about, um, you know, uh, Palin railing against ranked choice voting. That's one thing. America is such a deeply undemocratic country. That is really one thing that would maybe make it slightly ever so slightly more democratic of a nation in terms of the ability the ability to be able to like choose uh, elected leaders that are more in line with their values so it's no surprise that they're that they're railing against that yeah it's it's interesting i mean i um i i've obviously been there the last couple of days and so there's two booths that are up for sort of anti ranked choice voting groups. There's Alaskans for Honest Elections, and they're based in Alaska. They kind of flew out to CPAC to, to represent themselves. But there's another group called Stop RCV, and they are a group that's sort of, I think they're backed by Heritage Action and by another group called uh, Save Our States, which is like their, their main thing is sort of defending the legitimacy of the Electoral College. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of approached them and I was like, cause you know, I mean, obviously as a journalist, I can't get like too partisan with these things, but, um, I, I feel like ranked choice voting is a decent system. I think it's kind of cool like that you get to rank candidates instead of just choosing one. And so I approached them and I was like, what's, what's your problem with ranked choice voting? Like, you know, theoretically you could imagine a scenario in which this is something that a Republican might benefit from, right? Like what if you have, you know, some sort of red district or red state where you had, you know, two conservative candidates running against one democratic candidate and they split the vote and the Democrat wins, right? Like, isn't that a scenario where as a Republican, you would prefer to allow the conservatives to sort of rank each other so that that can, can coalesce into to one candidate ultimately. But it was interesting. I mean, they they're sort of zeroing in on the the fact that it's somewhat more complex um, than just like a straight up like I pick this person thing. Like the fact that people have to rank, you know, maybe five choices or you know, I was talking to the Alaska guy and he was saying like, you know, we had to rank forty eight people. Like, <laughs> you know, that's not. I don't want to yeah. do that. And, and I, I almost agree with them. I was like, yeah, that sounds awful. That sounds way, like a lot of people to rank. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, maybe you have to be a bit more careful with who you're voting for, but um, still it's like, there's, there's a principle in that. Like, yeah, if, if the person you wanted first gets eliminated, at least you have like a shot at having a say. Um, but there's, there's zeroing in on the complexity of it. Um, the fact that, you know, I think to my knowledge, I mean, these systems 
certainly can be transparent. I'm not aware of sort of a lack of transparency there, but they're calling it sort of opaque um, because a lot of these tabulations of ranked choice voting happen by electronic machines rather than like a simple hand count. Um, and the fact that it takes a lot of time, I think is something they're zeroing in on. And the fact that like, yeah, some people just rank one candidate. And so their ballot gets thrown out if that candidate gets eliminated and, you know, they're saying that that's wrong. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's, this, this has been sort of a, I think we're only going to see more of this um, sort of anti-ranked choice voting sentiment on the right. Um, Kevin McCarthy recently sort of made some comments against it. Um, and I think as far as I can tell, it is just sort of a, uh, a matter of convenience in a way, or I've been, like the, the fact that in recent history, ranked choice voting has mostly worked against Republicans, um, I think is what's driving this. I mean, obviously there's the example of Alaska, Lisa Murkowski being able to win there, uh, Sarah Palin losing to Mary Peltola. Um, but even in Maine in 2018, I believe it was, um, the incumbent Republican there initially won the most votes. And then Jared Golden, the Democrat, ended up winning when the votes were retabulated because they have ranked choice voting as well. Um, so anyways, that was sort of a fun little um, detour that I was able to kind of nerd out on um, over the last couple of days. Talking to people about election systems. I see that. <laughs> so, you know, maybe one of the more substantive com conversations that happens there it seems to be you know heavy on platitudes uh stump <laughs> speeches uh, yeah. a lot of out i mean but you you mentioned two of the more prominent election deniers were there and were received with great fanfare but i'm also wondering yeah. since you're talking about booths before, before we get into some of the other figures you saw there take us through the you know every conference like this has a has a big main hall where all the exhibitors and vendors post up with their tables what were some of the more uh, interesting uh, vendors that you saw this year beyond just the standard, you know, consulting groups, messaging firms, you know, text to camp, like, you know, text services, that kind of stuff. What were some of the more interesting vendors? Yeah, for sure. I mean, gosh, well, the first booth that I think I was really drawn to was like the log cabin Republicans. Cause, um, <laughs> and for those who don't know, they're, they're sort of groups of gay Republicans. I I've just, I've been fascinated by them for a long time. Um, believe it or not, I actually, so obviously George Santos has become, um, kind of a household name for all of all the lies that he's, he's told. But, um, before he was George Santos, the liar and the fraudster, he was, um, a gay Republican, you know, he was a, a gay GOP candidate who had secured the nomination and who was running in a somewhat competitive district in New York. And I actually almost traveled to New York to profile him. Um, and then like back in October and then like something came up and I, and I couldn't end up doing it. And I, I'm now grateful that I didn't do that because I think I would have looked silly. Um, cause I wasn't <laughs> going to dig into him that much. Like I was just, I kind of took it face value. Like guess he is who he says he is and you know yeah he's a volleyball star about him, right <laughs> yeah yeah right i mean i wasn't i it wasn't an investigative thing i was kind of just like what happens when a gay person runs in a gop primary or when they have the gop nomination but so i just i ended up chatting with them and then there was another booth um kind of on that same theme uh the right stuff which is a uh right-wing dating app that i believe is funded by peter Thiel. um like 
not you know millions and millions of dollars but like they have some seed funding from peter Thiel, and um they've i think struggled to recruit people um you know they this they sort of went viral maybe a month or two ago because one of the prompts on their app um was it's like january 6th was and then you get to fill in the blank um <laughs> Best day so, of my life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's 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 it's, it's already on its face kind of silly. It's um, funny because they keep trying to make these like either conservative dating apps or conservative only social media sites take off. And lo and behold, it never seems to work out because these people <laughs> sign up to these pro sign up create yeah. a profile there and they're like, I'm just surrounded by these deranged weirdos. What's going on with that? I don't know. It must be a coincidence. I, know, I guess we'll have to move on from this. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some sort of um gender imbalance issue with the right stuff and i forget honestly if it's like they have too many women on there or if they have too many guys on there um but in any like in any case like they're really i think struggling to recruit people and that i ended up talking to them about that because i kind of walked up and just said like hey how's it going and a photographer who i know was standing there at the table um chatting with the ceo who actually happens to be um his name is Johnny McEntee. He used to be Trump's bag man. Um, and then he eventually become, became the head of the Office of Personnel Management um, in the Trump White House. And I, I guess, I don't know why they were chatting, but he kind of jokingly asked me, like, are you going to sign up for the app? And um, I was like, well, I can't because uh, I'm, I'm gay. And like the right stuff does not allow same-sex pairings. Um which but is interesting too, because you I said Peter Thiel of, was a backer on it. Who another, another I, yeah. gay Republican? That's the thing. I mean, Peter Thiel's a backer, and I I have joked about this several times before. But I, I said directly to the, the CEO, I was like, "If anyone needs this app, it's gay Republicans. Like these people, <laughs> like the the rest of their demographic hates them. Like they're all they're all liberal. I mean, it's 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 a rough time out there for them." Um, if anyone needs like kind of a space where it's like a pre-selected, like everyone's conservative, like that would be it. Um, and he's like, yeah, no, I've, we've heard that a lot. Yeah. Um, still no so, plans to do it, but yeah, we've heard yeah, that. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's that, um, there's stuff like that. The John Birch society had a table this year, um, which was interesting Jesus. and kind of went without any notation. I mean, I I picked up some of their literature yesterday. I might I might have it somewhere here, but um, you know, obviously they're famous for being this kind of hard right anti communist group. That oh yeah, no, I have yeah, wow. my, my John Birch Society wow. literature. Yikes! Um, which you know, one of the first questions they ask is, "How are we unique?" Which is, I think, an interesting question to pose to people at at CPAC, and was kind of the question that I have now because i think they were seen as very radical um back in the middle of the 20th century but in many ways you know the republican party has kind of caught up to where they are in terms of you know small government and sort of this infusion of religion and so on and so forth but apparently it was very controversial when they were listed as a sponsor of cpac back in 2010 and then they were like booted the following year and yeah, now they have a table there and, you know, no one cares. Um, <laughs> Jesus. There were, there were some other exhibitors. There was, um, I don't know, like, the, the, like as you mentioned, there was Patriot Mobile, which 
I wish I dig more into that because um, I kind of just was like, oh, you know, like there, there's just there's a lot of like, oh, we're X thing, but we're conservative, you know, yeah. these days. And we're a, ta- we're a tactical uh, mobile service <laughs> yeah. provider. I don't I don't really know. I don't know what their angle is, but um, I saw Jack Posobiec um, doing some sort of book signing there earlier today. And I think Lauren Boebert um was supposed to be there at some point as well so the heavy hitters yeah yeah big names heavy hitters so it was it was um (laughs) i think i from what i hear it was a smaller exhibition floor than in previous years um i guess the other one worth mentioning would be there was there was a group uh an anti-china group or it sort of purports to represent um like dissidents from china called the new federal state of china um and there is a really good story from will bretterman at the daily beast um that i actually i I should refresh myself on it but i i read it a while back and this is a group that's funded by like a chinese billionaire and associated with steve bannon um and you know they had people fanned out all over the conference like handing out literature for their group and any connection to falun gong upstairs set up no, it wasn't Falun Gong. There was there was Falun Gong there. Okay. Um, yeah, the Epoch Times had like a media thing set up, of course. All right. Um, but this is this is a separate thing. Okay. Um. So, anyways, yeah, the good good diversity of yeah you know, exhibitors. <laughs> a wide ver- wide array. Um, it's interesting. I did see footage, uh, uh, some footage from Don Junior's speech, which is amazing too, considering like how you pointed out how it's become such a Trumpy thing in general and how popular he is there. But I saw Don Jr.'s speech seemed pretty low energy, seemed a pretty lackluster crowd, which is amazing too. Like how much of a failure can you be when it's like you're, that's your supposed to be your people. That's your audience. It's your family name that they love and that they're coming around, but he can't even seem to get, get the support yeah. of even the most hardcore Trump is supporting uh, conservatives. Big L for Don Jr., unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was interesting to see which speech, which speeches kind of had the most juice this year because, I mean, the, Steve Bannon spoke earlier, um, I guess right before I left CPAC, and he really brought the house down, um, which I say with a, a touch of irony, but really, like, I mean, people were kind of going crazy over his speech, and he was going after Fox News, and saying that, you know, they weren't covering Trump enough. Whenever Trump speaks, it's newsworthy. Um, but at the same time, like the auditorium was maybe half full. Um, and I mean, I feel like an interesting bit of context that I that I should talk through here is the fact that um, Matt Schlapp, the um, chairman of the American Conservative Union, kind of the chief organizer of this conference, is currently the subject of a $9.4 million sexual assault lawsuit. Um, from a male uh, Herschel Walker staffer. Um, this was a story that was first broken by uh, Roger Sollenberger at the Daily Beast. And since then, you know, a number of us have spoken with the accuser. I, I spoke with the accuser, I guess it was last month. Um, and, you know, basically the accusation is that during a campaign stop in Georgia uh, in October, um, Schlapp basically went out to drinks with the staffer. Um, it sort of was this uncomfortable vibe. 
Um, and then as he was, as, as the staffer was driving Schlapp back to his hotel, um, the, the staffer alleges that Schlapp essentially like groped his crotch. Um, and the, you know, it's been a bizarre kind of response to this. Um, Schlapp has never really addressed this like himself kind of on camera. It's been through like these little statements or like statements from his lawyer. Um, I believe they've responded via court filings as well, but like it hasn't really been directly addressed. Um, but that whole situation I think has, um, it's, it's part of the reason why like this, the, the, convention just isn't as well attended this year. And I think a lot of the big names are skipping out on it, you know, in part because it has just become this Trumpier thing over the years. And a lot of elements of the party are looking to move on from that. And so there's a sense that, you know, if you don't feel like you have to be there, then you don't go. And maybe you say that like, it's because of the schlap thing. Um, but the conference as a whole, like, I'm not sure if anyone really had like a super well attended speech um, regardless or not of whether they had like a super, um, super riled up perception from what they were saying. Well, let's, let's talk about some of the, the notable missing figures too. So Kevin McCarthy yeah. is not going to be there. He has been a, you know, a prominent fixture over the past several years, but also notably Ron DeSantis is not there. And that's probably going to be you know, one of the top contenders in 2024, but him and Trump are already beefing. And I want to pull this headline. Yeah. In, in response <laughs> to the devastating meatball Ron insult, Fox news reported uh, a couple days ago, DeSantis fires back after Trump's pot shots as 2024 speculation swirls colon. It's silly season. So, you know, we've got crossfire. We're caught in the fray. It's silly season out here. I don't know if Ron DeSantis has the juice. <laughs> I don't know how he's going to hold up to some compared to something like Meatball Ron, but it's it's silly season crack me up. But on a serious point, he's not there. So why is he not there if, you know, this is where a lot of 2024 hopefuls go to just, you know, see where the winds are blowing, see how they see how they fare. Is it just that he wants to avoid Trump because like Rob mentioned earlier, Don Jr. spoke. I saw Laura Trump, Kimberly Guilfoyle. That was just today. The Trump family is very, very present throughout the entire schedule. Is this just a Trump event or is is uh, Meatball Ron just kind of avoiding this whole thing for other reasons? I My, my suspicion, I mean, I, I, I haven't spoken directly to like DeSantis' people about this, but my feeling about this is that he feels like he doesn't have to go to this kind of thing. And so he's not going to bother. Um, and it is, I mean, like, you know, it is kind of the Trump show these days. Um, obviously there were other competing presidential contenders there, namely Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, who hasn't officially announced what people expect him to, um, and Vivek Ramaswamy. And yeah, I think, you know, DeSantis in terms of the polling of the Republican primary so far, he's, there's been a couple where he's pulled basically even with Trump. Um, otherwise, I think on the whole, he's a little bit behind. Um, the sense that I get when it comes to DeSantis is that he's sort of trying to keep his power dry for now, trying to sort of um, lower the the sort of potential for, for clash between him and Trump. And, you know, the <laughs> I saw that same headline about like it's silly season and I just I, I was like what do you what do you mean by this I don't 
<laughs> so good. Yeah. It's so yeah, good. It's like, is is he like kind of celebrating this? Like it's silly season, y'all. Like I don't. <laughs> he's I don't looking really forward to his... March break. He's he's pumped. I wish yeah. I had like audio of that. Um, <laughs> We're getting silly in here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's the thing. It's like I, I don't. I think I get that impression as well that he is kind of trying to stay above the fray like that. But I just think the way that Trump is kind yeah. of firing, just even the way that we're all already referring to him as meatball Ron, that's already like an iconic <laughs> Trump line that's already stuck. I do really get the sense as much as like the conservative movement, I think would love to move past Trump the, in terms of the elites, like in the conservative movement and yeah. anoint someone like DeSantis who is, you know, ju- it will be just as adamant and and forceful at enacting very reactionary, conservative, pro business and regressive in terms of social policies. I'm sure they would love that, but when it comes down to it, I think once you start to get more into this primary season and you see these people start to face off, I just feel like the moment Trump calls DeSantis meatball Ron at a at a actual debate. <laughs> It's going to be just no contest. Like, and, and as we've seen, like in the conservative movement, I was just watching this clip a few moments ago of uh, Brian Kilmeade on Fox News going to this diner in Florida and, and doing like, a, oh, we're going to ask who who supports who in the coming kind of <clears throat> struggle for the Republican nomination. And everyone in the entire diner was like, Trump, Trump. They're all just repeatedly, even a woman in a Ron DeSantis shirt was like, yeah, probably Trump still. Um <laughs> So as much as there's this narrative that's trying to form saying that like it's a possibility that DeSantis could uh, take the nomination, I guess it is still technically a possibility. I really feel like once you, once this actually gets rolling, it's going to be a similar case to what we saw with Trump in 2016 as he just walked over all these establishment-friendly candidates, no matter how much institutional support they had or how much media support they had. It's hard to see a different outcome taking place in this coming Republican uh, primary. Yeah, it's it's hard to say for sure. Um, I think, generally speaking, we are in kind of this weird space where Trump is starting to dip below fifty percent in some polls, and you know we're we're all kind of wondering. I think like, well, how how real is that? You know, how permanent is that? Um, to what extent is that just sort of um, the fact that like he hasn't been campaigning that much. Like there isn't much of a campaign to speak of um, yet. Um, I think we'll get more of an answer to that as the year goes on. We saw in the midterms as well as a lot of the candidates that he supported uh, didn't win in the, in the midterms as well. And it looked like he was a little bit diminished then as well. I mean, yeah, it's, there's sort of the sense that like uh, among a lot of segments of the party that, you know, maybe it's time to move on because he's been too much of a drag on the party. Um, But I think the real question is like, who is the alternative? Um, which I mean, sounds sort of like a, you know, like a very banal statement to make about it, but like, sure, you might, you might be able to point out the flaws with Trump, but like who is able to really go head to head with him? Um, and who's able to really establish themselves as like the alternative. And I think when it comes to someone like Ron DeSantis, I mean, he, in my view, um, I think exists as an idea for people. Um, I mean, there's no question that, you know, in terms of like what he's done in Florida, um, and sort of the kind of media strategy that he has and, and the, the, the way he's approached that position have positioned him well, um, in terms of making a case to voters. But at the same time, I think 
a lot of people just know the name Ron DeSantis and know that he won big in Florida and know that he's like doing conservative things in Florida. And yeah, they haven't yet been presented with like the visceral image of Trump and DeSantis standing together on the stage um, and kind of going after one another. And, you know, there's, there's a certain appeal that Trump has because he is kind of funny. Um, and he, it, it's hard to really like insult Trump. Um, cause he'll just kind of, you know, wave it off. Um, whereas, yeah, I mean, with, with someone like Ron DeSantis, like he's, he's not very funny. He's kind of self-serious. And I think, you know, you might see a support dip just as, as that, as sort of Ron DeSantis, the person versus like the idea, um, becomes more evident to people. You've seen it even like try and take on Trump's mannerisms and everything. And it's just a pale, it's a pale imitation <laughs> of the real thing, you know? Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's a strange, um, I mean, you know, he, he's been doing this for a long time, right? I mean, he ran for governor in 2018 and a big way that he pulled ahead of the more establishment Republican candidate was by kind of going on Fox news a lot and embracing Trump and running that ad where he, you know, you know, he's, he's talking about like build the wall and has like his kid, like with building blocks and he's reading his kid, like, I don't know, the art of the deal or I forget what Trump book it was, but, um, you know, he's, he's been emulating Trump for a while. Yeah. That's so pathetic. (laughs) It's so funny. Uh, Brian, I'm, I'm wondering, you mentioned a little bit about some of the speeches and there were sparse crowds. You know, I saw a couple clips of, you know, back of the room crowd shots, just, three quarters empty for some of these people. Are you expecting a bigger crowd tomorrow for when Trump actually shows up? It seems like people were hype, especially with that gold chocolate bar giveaway today that Don Jr. did. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that you'll probably see like the biggest crowd. Um, I'm still a little bit undecided on like whether or not I'll go Um, just like in person. Like maybe I'll just have to watch it from home because you know, as, as much as I enjoy these things and I, I do enjoy kind of seeing all this stuff in person and getting to see it up close. Um, I am just like kind of tired from heading down there the last couple of days. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like he really is the main event of this, of this CPAC. And, um, I think that he's still the guy that's able to kind of serve up the red meat. And even if people don't really know exactly what he's talking about, you know, that's what they're there for. That's kind of like the one through line that runs through runs through all of it. And so, um, I I would expect that for sure. I'm I'm definitely interested in in seeing. Uh, I guess I am definitely interested in seeing Trump's speech tomorrow. It's been the kind of question we've been asking ourselves since he announced his campaign. Does he still have it? Does he still have the sauce? Does he have the juice? The juice or the sauce? Whatever analogy you want to use. We talked about the midterms. How he did seem kind of diminished. A lot of the candidates that he supported did not win the big red wave that he was kind of hoping for and predicting didn't really materialize. Um, so it's a question that a lot of us have been asking, but lately it has seen like he has started to kind of build up this sort of sense of momentum again. You saw him rolling into East Palestine to the McDonald's in, in rare form. Um, and you do see this possibility that he is going to be able to kind of turn on that Trump charm such as it is and, and fire things back up. So I am really interested to see uh, whether he is able to still uh, repeat that same kind of uh, uh, that un- unlikely success that we saw in 2016. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, just sort of to sort of to that point. I mean, on some level, I think it was expected, but um, you know, someone who spoke there earlier today was Nikki Haley, who is 
kind of the first major um, GOP figure to announce a challenge to Trump. And, you know, it was, it was interesting because I kind of, I was kind of hanging around outside the uh, conference center as she was coming out uh, after her speech and she was standing there and taking photos with people, not answering questions from any of the reporters there, but um, you know, people eventually noticed that she was there and they immediately started doing like a Trump chant. <laughs> um, you know, they're chanting like Trump, Trump, Trump. And I think someone yelled at, at one point, like traitor, like someone, they were, they were yelling, like, we want Trump. Like, you know, I mean, granted, like, I think obviously, you know, it's hard to extrapolate too much on just kind of one moment or one um, instance of like Trump fans, like yelling at Nikki Haley. But like, to me, that sort of just captured the general atmosphere of like, you know, maybe they like her fine. Um, certainly there were people that were interested in taking photos with her, but there was enough of a critical mass of Trump support that people felt comfortable just sort of shouting her down. I mean, it's the same thing as DeSantis. Like you try to imagine Nikki Haley going toe to toe with Donald Trump in the way, in the way that Trump's been able to kind of manipulate the conservative <laughs> movement. I just don't see someone like Nikki Haley ever really being able to appealing to the kind of crowd or the base that uh, supports a Trump or even someone like DeSantis. I do think Trump and Nikki Haley would probably be a pretty formidable ticket if that's what it ended up uh, going in that direction. I think that would probably be pretty close. I don't. Wanna, I wouldn't want to make any prediction either way whether that would be uh, enough to you know defeat uh, Biden and the Democrats in the election. But I feel like that would be a if that's the direction that it went, that would be a pretty formidable uh, ticket. Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of. I was talking to some people today who you know I was like, hey, did you watch the Nikki Haley speech? And they're like, oh yeah, no, I like her. She'd make a great vice president. You know, I mean that's sort of yeah. I think the the conversation about her is that like she's auditioning to be VP and. You know, maybe she is, maybe she isn't. It's hard to get inside her head. But um, so far, at least, uh, you know, she has, as as they all are, you know, strayed from trying to take Trump on, like, head on. Um, she's talking a lot about generational change um, and, you know, the need for a fresh face and the fact that we haven't won the popular vote. Like, these are all sort of implicit criticisms of, criticisms of Trump, but, like, nothing that's really like beyond the pale or like that would sort of um, permanently sever the chances of her staying in that orbit. Brian, I'm also curious since you are a Capitol Hill reporter. Yeah. If there's any, you know, how the winds are blowing up there among Republicans, you know, Kevin McCarthy's kind of tough to pin down on this kind of stuff. He's probably going to wait to throw the support behind whoever the nominee is probably hedge his bets uh, on this front. But of the other you know, prominent House Republicans. Uh, have you seen any any surprising early signs or shows of support for anybody, not just Trump? Mm. And I'm curious, just generally, if you think there'll be a you know a wave of support for somebody before the nominees decided. Yeah. Well, I mean, perhaps unsurprisingly, I think there's. We actually did a we have sort of a running endorsement tracker going and Trump's support in Congress um, currently stands at five senators, um, all of whom are freshmen to my understanding. And also Lindsey Graham. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's Lindsey Graham and like, uh, you know, Eric Schmidt, JD Vance, Tommy Tuberville, uh, Mark Wayne Mullen, I believe, is is the fifth one. Um, basically, like Lindsey Graham and a bunch of freshmen who 
were able to win with Trump's support. Um, so they sort of like owed him something in a way. Um, and then in the House, it's maybe like in the 40s of, of people, which is kind of what I would expect. Um, aside from that, I mean, there, there are a number of folks who speak favorably about DeSantis. Um, there was an interesting story, I think it was today, either today or yesterday, where Thomas Massey, um, who's kind of a libertarian type, he's one of these um, members of Congress that, you know, whenever there's like some sort of non-controversial bill that's like, 430 people voting for it and then like three people voting against it like he's probably one of the three like it's a pretty good kind of guess like yeah he's probably in there um he uh i think told politico that he was a desantis guy now um and i think there are a number of other sort of folks who are conservative but maybe not on like the trumpy MAGA wing of the party who are who I think would be interested at least in a desantis run unclear it's hard to say if they would actually endorse him um, Nikki Haley does have one backer in Congress. Um, that would be Ralph Norman, uh, who is, um, he's a Freedom Caucus member, was a big Trump ally. Um, he famously, these, these were texts revealed by Hunter Walker with a talking points memo. He, uh, just a few days before Biden's inauguration, um, texted Mark Meadows that, um, Trump has to invoke quote martial like an like with an essay uh martial law um and you know later on like he was asked about it and he said like yeah i was frustrated you know i was frustrated with what was going on with dominion and all that but he's backing Haley now so um they're awesome they're friends big, going back big to, get for her yeah i mean she you know she's she's got that endorsement she has um the endorsement of um I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. It's one of those names that I've always like seen in print or maybe like written out, but never said out loud, but like Don Bullduck in New Hampshire. Um, he was one of these like election denying Senate candidates that didn't win. Um, she has his support. Uh, <laughs> so she's, I mean, she's running an interesting campaign really where like she kind of has this like moderate ish appeal, but then is getting these interesting endorsements. And um, I think, you know, I mean, she's at CPAC, right? When a lot of other people aren't like, she's trying to court that wing of the party. Um, but, you know, I think most people are trying to keep their power dry. I think, you know, aside from those five Republican senators, basically everyone is like, we'll see. And there's plenty of Republican senators who will basically just say like, yeah, Trump had a shot. Like we don't want Trump. <laughs> um, which is, I, I think a bit of a difference from the house where that's a little bit harder because, you know, you got a primary every two years. Right, right. Well, one thing I'm wondering is, um, you know, the State of the Union was uh, a couple weeks ago now, and we had a lot of talk from Biden, you know, touting his his the accomplishments of the first couple years of the administration, and then saying like, now that we got this new Congress, we got this new situation, now we got to finish the job and all these things that we started, and we're going to bring back the child tax credit and pr kind of promising to like finish the job and all these things they're working on. So. Do you think there's any uh, appetite in the in the House to compromise with Democrats? I sorry, I can't say without laughing. To compromise <laughs> with the Democrats on some common sense bipartisan solutions that are going to benefit people in the United States, or do you think that was maybe a little bit of a reach from Biden suggesting that that was a possibility? Yeah, I think that's just messaging messaging from <laughs> Biden. Um, you know, we're it's yeah. it's interesting because I I have personally not covered. Um, 
divided government before. Um, I mean, I've obviously seen it. I've been aware of it before, but um, it's interesting to go from like, you know, you're covering unified democratic control of Congress and, you know, oh, like, will this bill potentially pass like both the House and the Senate to like going to the situation where it's like, oh, like nothing is going between these chambers except, except um, two different things. One is, um, gosh, I shouldn't have brought it up because I'm going to have a hard time explaining it. But this is something about the <laughs> the ESG ESG rules. Oh um, yeah, yeah. This, um, you know, it has to do with the new Department of Labor rule concerning ESG investing. Um, I think that's about as specific as I can get with it um, in terms of how I how much I've looked into it. But it's something that passed the Republican House and recently passed the Senate as well because they were able to peel off uh, Joe Manchin and John Tester. Um, This was um, basically via something called the Congressional Review Act, which allows Congress to sort of weigh in on different administrative changes that may be made in the executive government or in the executive branch. Um, So that passed both houses. Um, Biden's going to veto it, but, you know, it managed to get through both chambers. Um, And then more controversially, um, there was a measure from that was originally sponsored by Representative Andy Clyde of Georgia that um, essentially is a resolution of disapproval um, against a recent overhaul of DC's criminal code. Um, and this this just kind of happened yesterday, where um, you know it, it passed the House and a maybe 20 some Democrats voted for it Um, kind of, you know, more maybe moderate conservative types who want to sound like they're tough on crime. Um, There's the the most controversial aspect of the overhaul of DC's criminal code is the fact that the sentence for carjacks, carjacking has been um, lowered, I think from 40 years to 24 years. If you look at data from the uh, DC sentencing commission, uh, the median sentence for carjacking has been 15 years. And so you're already talking about like, you know, the, a number of years that like is far beyond what people get anyway. Um, this was kind of another, it, it was in a similar place as the ESG thing where it was like, okay, well, you know, Manchin and Tester, they're up in 2024. Like, how are they going to vote on this? Um, and then Biden said during a Senate Democratic caucus lunch yesterday that he wouldn't veto it. Um, and so now there's a lot of uh, anger in D.C. about the fact that Biden has sort of undermined his position in favor of D.C. home rule and D.C. statehood um, by essentially signing off on Congress um, blocking this overhaul of D.C.'s criminal code. Um, so yeah, that's, he had that that's great tweet was like, of course, I support D.C. statehood. But yeah. in this case, no, not as much. No. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I mean, on some level, like the politics makes sense in a way because like, you know, you want to sort of protect against like soft on crime attacks or whatever. But I mean, as I just kind of laid out, like the the changes to DC's criminal code, I think are fairly explainable um, and aren't that crazy. And it's, you know, there, there's a number of House Democrats that voted against this that are now going to get hit on that after Biden kind of hung them out to dry. Um, so he's pissed a lot of people off um, and probably hasn't satisfied a ton of people either. 
Um, I'm sure. But, yeah, I'm sure he's going to get credit from the right for not being soft on crime. <laughs> taking it down to 24 years yeah. for carjacking. That's basically the purge. So, you know, you yeah, watch out for that. <laughs> yeah, 24 years is a long time for carjacking. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, we we absolutely need DC statehood. It's absurd. Like we have 750 or 770 thousand people living there with a you know a member of the house who doesn't really get a vote. She's just kind of symbolic, and no senators. As Congress just decides what these people's laws can or can't be, despite them all voting for members of the council who decided this, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, and that's a really tame adjustment, especially considering uh, how people are sentenced already for this this crime. Forty years is absurd. I mean, still probably nobody's going to even get forty years uh, unless it's something like especially heinous, where there's also like you know like a double homicide or something sure. involved with the carjacking. But just a simple carjacking is never going to get forty years to begin with. So it's absurd that they would even do this. And again, to your point, it undermines his position on statehood and home rule, which they absolutely should have. They deserve it. Everyone deserves it. Everyone deserves the right to decide on who sets the, the, you know, the agenda and the laws in their own city or town or state. And in this case, district. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And it's, it's something that I think, you know, I think we basically arrived at a place where basically every Democrat is in favor of, of DC statehood, but beyond just saying like i'm in favor of dc statehood like it's it's something where there isn't enough sort of message discipline for for democrats around that um where you know they they know how to kind of push back like there hasn't been a ton of like real pushback um against kind of the republican messaging on this i mean mcconnell came out swinging on this earlier this week where he said like uh it's like DC belongs to the American people, I think was his line or something like that. Um, and that was kind of argument against DC statehood and home rule and that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I guess that's an argument, but it seems like a relatively easy one to rebut if you don't agree with it. So Brian Metzger, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people follow you and find more of your work? For sure. Um, well, you can follow me on Twitter at MetzGov. Um, that's M-E-T-Z-G-O-V. Um, it's an old Twitter handle that I never really bothered to change, so I guess I'm stuck with it now. Um, and I'm a reporter for Insider. Um, I guess you can just go to like businessinsider.com slash Brian Metzger. I believe that would be the right URL. Um, or just Google me, you know, Brian Metzger Insider. Um, and you can find my work there. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass Ken in our replies, and then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening.